Acts 12, uh, and if you also put your finger in Jeremiah 33, we'll actually read that first. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee, uh, mark the next few words, great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now go with me to Acts 12, verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to the four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about great and mighty things because I believe God has plans to do great and mighty things. I believe God is doing great and mighty things here at Capital City Baptist Church. He's doing those things in our hearts, our lives, our children, in our ministries. People are getting saved. People are being called into the ministry. Young people are being trained. I don't think we should ever take any of that for granted. But when we talk about great and mighty things, I think sometimes we have it in our mind that that was a different age. That was the Old Testament age. That was a time of Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha. And that those things can't happen in our day and age, the day and age of grace. And I do believe that God is still a great mighty God. And I still believe he has great mighty plans. And I still believe that his desire is to do the great and mighty through us. I believe the only problem is maybe we're not as interested as he is in seeing the great and mighty done. Now, God doesn't need some special fabric or fiber to use in his service. God wants to do great things through you. And in the book of Acts, we see amazing things that are happening. Now, listen, it doesn't matter the circumstances. God is not limited by the circumstances because these were actually extreme, dire circumstances, troublesome times. And the Bible says that Herod, the king, was stretching forth his hand to vex certain of the church. Now, folks, if you think these days are becoming darker and more bleak, think back to the days that the apostles were living in. Verse 2, he took James and killed him with the sword. He was beheaded. Those are serious times. I know a few of you have faced persecution on a minor level. Maybe someone has laughed at you. Someone has mocked you. Someone has scorned you. No one has beaten you. No one has jailed you. And certainly no one has beheaded you or you wouldn't be here tonight. But that's what was taking place. And he was out to close down the church. Now let me just say this. The church has been hated for 2,000 years. Don't expect as a member of a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church in this day and age to be loved and accepted by people in this society. Especially not if you hold to Bible principle, you hold to the truth, you believe in the King James Bible, the inerrant, infallible 
preserved word of God. Those things trouble this world. And it troubled Herod so much, he decided to put a stop to it. Matter of fact, he arrested Peter with the intention of having him killed as well. But let me just say this. These weren't the only problems that the church was facing. I made a short list of the problems. The church treasure had been stealing money and committed suicide. The most prominent leader of the church had denied the faith and denied that he ever knew the Lord, not once or twice, but three separate occasions. Christians were commanded by city officials to no longer teach, preach, or even speak in the name of Jesus. Hypocrisy and lying had been discovered in the membership, and two that were caught fell over dead in the front of the auditorium. There was racial strife that caused the murmuring in the membership. Their favorite and most faithful deacon, Mr. Stephen, had been murdered. There was a government hitman who was tracking down church members, pulling them out of houses, not just men but women and children, Saul of Tarsus by name, persecuting the church. There was a conflict in the church, even among the church leaders, over who the gospel should be taken to. Now, James had been beheaded. Peter had been jailed. Do you understand how serious their situation was? That doesn't mean God had his hands tied. That doesn't mean God was worried or concerned, nervous about the state of affairs. And be careful because Peter when he wrote the book of 1st and 2nd Peter, was talking about the last times as if he were living in the last days because those circumstances were so severe and we think things certainly can't be worse than they are right now. Let me tell you a little secret. Things have been worse in other countries around the world for a long time. You're just now getting to experience some of the minor problems that other countries are Maybe in your mind, they're major problems. In other countries, they're minor problems. And people are suffering on a much greater scale than we suffer here in the United States of America. But here's what we do. We find ourselves in the daily grind of life. Because we're worn out, wiped out, stressed out, upset, tired, we can't seem to focus on great and mighty things. We're in survival mode daily, and we basically think as long as I can get myself to church, survive another service, praise the Lord, sing another song, maintain my Christianity another week, I'm okay. I think God has greater plans than that for you as a child of God. God wants to use these young people. Be careful. Don't be one of those that puts out the fire in the youth. Several years ago, I got a letter from an angry member. And I read it at men's prayer because he said, I'm leaving this church because of the cheerleaders that you have on the front row. I don't like it. The young men are sitting up there with suits and singing out and shouting out and praising the Lord said, what a horrific thing to happen in the house of God. Men to be sitting on the front row with suits singing and shouting. I think that's what we see in the Greek, the meaning of the unpardonable sin. 
You shouldn't want to put out the fire that we have in our youth around here. Well, you say they're not perfect on Monday and Tuesday, neither are you. But I'll overlook your imperfections if you come up to the front row, put on a suit, and shout it out. Thank God for what God is doing, but we get in this mode. We're so overfed and uh, uh, overworked and stressed out that seriously, what God wants to do, he cannot do because he can't even get five minutes of our attention. God wants to do great mighty things. I am sick and tired of people in the negative, pessimistic spirit that you find. I'm not talking about in church members. I'm talking about in church leaders across this nation. People saying, well, we're in the last days. You just can't win souls. You just can't see church growth. Missionaries aren't being sent. Young men aren't being called. I believe the problem has started in our pulpits because the word of God is not being preached because this negative, pessimistic spirit is seeping down from the top to the bottom. And we ought to be saying, thank God for the time that we have left and for the Holy Spirit that's still working in hearts and for a God that still wants to do the great and mighty. Despite the circumstances, God was interested in doing the great and mighty. Now, here's what I want to see, just a few things quickly. Great and mighty things always, always, always involve serious prayer on the part of God's people. You cannot, we cannot, as a church, see great and mighty things happen in our community, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages without serious prayer. Now, I'm not talking about prayer. I'm not talking about a five-minute prayer meeting. I'm not talking about... Um, prayer over a meal, an occasional, occasional family prayer. I'm talking about serious, unceasing, daily prayer. Now look what was going on in verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, when he gets out, look what it says in verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where, look what the scripture says, many were gathered together praying. The church was serious about praying down something that was great and mighty. Now, it wasn't their great faith. Because look what happens. As Peter knocked, verse 13, at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. Now, young ladies, you need to take a note here. Stay focused. Hard to find a young lady that's focused. They have good hearts, poor focus. So Peter's trying to get in, and she's saying, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, it's Peter. And Peter's saying, oh, my goodness, let me in. She runs in and tells how Peter stood before the gate. That's the problem. Let the man in, verse 15. And they said unto her, the prayer warriors, these great men of faith, the church that had gathered together and they were praying and fasting, they're on their knees. And they said, God has answered our prayers. And Peter's at the gate. And their response is, thou art mad. Isn't that how we pray? God, if you do me a favor and help my relatives to come, my friends to come, my co-workers to come, I'd like to see that family saved. I'd like to see something special happen. And then Sunday they show up and you go, oh, 
my goodness, I didn't expect you to be here. It's a good way to welcome people to church. Isn't it amazed how we're shocked when God answers our prayer? It's amazing to think that God often answers our prayer before we officially pray it. Sometimes it's just on our hearts and our minds and we think and we're burdened about it. And then God just answers it. And we do what they did. We respond the same way. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking when they had opened the door and saw him. Look what it says. They were astonished. Now here's what we ought to do. We want to be astonished by the blessing and the power of God. Not just this week, not just next week, not this month or next month at the missions conference. But we want to be astonished on a regular basis. We need land. We need a building. That's going to take something great and mighty. With our budget, with our income, with our giving, with everything that's taking place with the Christian school and the college and all these activities and the people that we host and the missions conference coming just to run our missions conference will cost us about $40,000. We need something great and mighty just to take care of our missions conference expenses. And guess what? Every year God does something great and mighty. Not only does God pay the expenses, God allows us to help others in projects and buy them vehicles and purchase buildings and step out by faith. Listen, if we serve a great mighty God, why are we so satisfied with a few dollars here and a few dollars there and minimal effort and God, you know, if you just help us keep the electric bill paid and the water on, we're good. Listen, here's my argument to God. If you did that for Peter and for Paul and for John and for so many others, how about for Adam and Capital City Baptist Church? We serve the same God. And here's what it's going to take some prayer. And here's what I don't understand as a missionary. If you talk about uh, we need to pray for uh, the churches in Mexico and the works and what Brother Matt's doing and what Brother Billy's doing, what Brother Suttmeyer's doing. Everybody's on their knees begging God, expecting God to do a miracle like he's present in Mexico, but he just never happens to pass by Austin, Texas. Talk about the great and mighty things that are happening in Africa, in the Philippines, and around the world. And we'll pray and we'll fast and with great expectations. Brother Lewis, how did it go? How did camp go? How did VBS go? How did the revival go? How many people got saved? How many people got baptized? And then when it comes to Austin, well, you know, do you know the same God that is present around the world and doing great and mighty things in New Guinea and Uganda is also present in Austin, Texas? Well, Pastor, you don't know our slogan here. Keep Austin weird. For those of you that are visiting tonight, we want you to know this church has adopted the same slogan. Look at these two front rows and all these gentlemen. These young men are keeping Austin weird. Just their hairdos alone, amen? The great and mighty things always require the people of God to seriously begin to pray and to fast and to involve God. Without serious prayer, we're simply not going to see the great and mighty. 
The Bible says, call unto me, call unto me, and I will show thee great and mighty things. How many of you believe that's for us in this day and age? How many believe that promise is still good for Cap City Baptist Church? I think this week as we pray and fast, we ought to be begging God. God, we're asking you and claiming that promise and expecting you to do something great and mighty. And there they sat in their prayer meeting. God, we know what happened to James. He was just beheaded. We know Herod's intention, what he plans on doing with Peter. Would you please free him from jail? And the angel comes, kicks him in the side, wakes him up, says, get up, let's go. The shackles fall off. He walks out the door. The guards don't even realize what is taking place. And he walks to his freedom, goes to the prayer meeting, knocks on the door. God had done the great and mighty. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe God would have done that if God's people hadn't have been praying? God did that because God's people were serious. God did the great and mighty. Number two. Great and mighty things mean souls are being saved. Converts are being discipled. Folks, I hope any miracle you expect of God, anything you desire of God includes the salvation of souls. I'm thankful that you got a new truck. I praise the Lord for your new job. I thank God for anything else that you prayed for, and I believe that prayer is simply that, asking and receiving. But we're talking about the great and mighty. We're talking about the parting of the Red Sea or the crossing of the Jordan or having the sun stand still. We look at those things in great amazement. But it cost God so much more to send his son, shed his blood, and save a lost sinner that ought to be our primary focus. What a blessing this week being in prayer and fasting and asking God specifically, would you bring us someone? I, we go out and we knock doors. I'm not going to stop doing that. And we're involved in discipleship. And I do personal discipleship and I do discipleship in the Spanish department. And I thank God for all those opportunities. But as I fasted, I asked God specifically, would you bring someone to me that is interested and you know what happened on Thursday? We got a phone call. You know what happened Thursday night? We got with a couple. You know what happened Thursday night? We sat down at a table. We were able to meet a family, someone that's interested in hearing. Broke my fast, ate blueberry pancakes on a stomach that had no food for four days and about killed me. I didn't know blueberries were flammable. Man, about 1.30, those things caught fire and they burned till about 3.30. Smoke was coming out of my ears and my nose. Here's what God did. Then God brought that family to church this morning. That's what God does. And when we get serious with God, God says, I'm going to get serious. And God wants to do the great and the mighty. And he wants to use us to do it. Thank God that prayer was made. Thank God these people were interested in seeing souls saved. Look what it says in verse 12. Here's what happened when the great and mighty happened. The word of God, what's it say? Grew and multiplied. That's the great and mighty. When we see the word of God growing and multiplying in this city, in this church, in this community, 
Now, if you read in Acts, here's the great mighty. From Acts chapter 2 on, you see souls being saved, thousands, multiplication taking place. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls are saved. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 souls are saved. And it just multiplies from there. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius. Gentiles get saved. Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch helping that young church, discipling converts. That's where Christians were first called Christians was in the city of Antioch because Paul and Barnabas were discipling those young converts in the faith and helping them to grow. Acts chapter 13, missionaries are being sent forth. That is the great and mighty. Now let me ask you this. Are you involved in the great and mighty? Are you even involved? Are you involved at any level on getting the gospel out, seeing people saved, and helping new converts to grow? That doesn't require a position, doesn't require a ministry. It requires a desire. Number three, the great and mighty things always require the Holy Spirit to be involved. How many believe that we can see the great and mighty without the Holy Spirit doing the work? How many of you actually believe there's someone in this auditorium that can accomplish the great and mighty alone? Personal effort, personal ability, talent. There is no one here sufficiently talented to actually see something great and mighty done. We know that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know what you see in the book of Acts? Although we call it the Acts of the Apostles, it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles to accomplish the supernatural. We want to see the supernatural. The only way that can happen is for the Holy Spirit to be working through us. That's why Jesus Christ, before he ascended into heaven, look back with me in chapter 1, verse 4. They being assembled together, he commands them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Why? But to wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? The coming of the Holy Spirit. For John, he said, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Why do they need the Holy Ghost? Verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Here's what we want. Not just this week, not just at the revival with Brother Brown, not just Anniversary Sunday, not just Missions Conference, but we want to see every time we speak, every time we witness, every time we knock on doors, every ministry we have from the club ministry in the nursery. Listen, nursery workers, we want you to work back there in the nursery full of the Holy Ghost. In that way, you won't even be tempted to gossip in your free time because the Holy Ghost will have your tongue under total control. You won't lend your ear. You won't lend your heart. You won't lend your mind. You won't lend your mouth because you'll be full of the Holy Ghost. We want you to come to Sunday school, junior church, Spanish discipleship, any event, anything that we do at this church, we want you to come full of the Holy Ghost. That's the only way that we can see the supernatural done. And how feeble are our efforts when they're done in the flesh? How useless it is to think that we can pump ourselves up and, and bring something sufficiently powerful in our flesh to change a life or impact the lost. It has to be done with the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four, great and mighty things occur when Christians are growing downward. 
what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Look what it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing for the church of God. Now, numerically, the church might have been shrinking, but inwardly they were growing because we see a dedication to fasting and to prayer. Did you know a lot of growth in the Christian life is not visible growth? It's inward growth. It's growth in humility. Growth in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what Paul said in Ephesians 3 and Colossians 1, being rooted and grounded, having deep roots. You know the kind of Christian that scares a pastor? It's a Christian without deep roots because he knows it's not going to take much, a little wind, a little pressure, a little bad weather, someone to bump that tree and it'll fall over. God wants you to have deep roots, and the church was growing deep roots below the soil, the unseen. Look what it says. Peter was growing downward, verse 6. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping. This is the same man out there in the boat that got panicked and cried out, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? This was the same man when a little pressure was applied and the Lord was arrested. He ran, he fled, and when questioned, he denied Christ three times. This was a man that was previously very fearful, but he began to grow inwardly. Uh, I want you to see a picture that we took in Colorado. Now, it's a little fuzzy, but up there at the top, you see a little flower, a little plant that grows in the mountains of Colorado, and that plant only grows about two or three inches above the soil. But below that, you have a six-foot root. And you know what? Although it snows 15 to 20 feet on that part of the mountain, that plant will be there every summer. Nothing can kill it because it has roots that go beyond the freezing point in the soil. No weather, no cold, no freeze, no snow, no wind, no rain, no traffic, no bugs. There's nothing on the planet. That root is so strong and so powerful. If you take a look, you'll notice it's grown through rock. And that plant is indestructible because it grew not upward. The trees that grew upward with the wind and with the snow were broken off and perished. But those little plants, those little flowers that grew roots much greater, much stronger, much deeper below the soil than above the soil survived every storm. You know when the church is going to experience great and mighty things? When people begin to grow downward. When they begin to grow inwardly in humility in that way, when strife and contention happens, they don't participate because they say, no, how do you want to get involved with that? That wouldn't please God. I don't want to get offended. I don't want to be mad. I don't want to live hurt. I just want to honor and glorify my Father. 
You know why the great mighty was happening? Because this church wasn't just growing upward and outward, but it was growing inward and downward. And soon we see in the lives of the apostles and those that were being discipled a strength that could not be crushed, not by persecution, not by suffering, not by city officials, not by all the other things that were taking place around them because they had deep roots. I wonder if we could actually see your roots, how deep they would be. Some of you would be blown away this year because superficially you look to be 100 feet tall, but inwardly there's never been much growth. Here's what you see in Acts chapter 1, a 10-day prayer meeting. Acts chapter 2, look what it says in verse 42. The new converts immediately, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers you know what that is that's growing inwardly downwardly and I get concerned about Christians who begin to isolate themselves from fellowship when you begin to do that you're no longer growing you're not continuing in doctrine if you're not continuing the breaking of bread you can't grow you're malnutritioned Amen? That doesn't mean white bread either. And in prayer. Number five, and we'll be done. Look what it says in chapter 12. Look one more time at the circumstance. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex. The church is being vexed. He killed James. He proceeded, verse 3, to take Peter. And then verse 4, when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison. What are his intentions? Delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. Look what his intentions are. Intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. He's planning to wait until Easter. Now let me just say this. There's only one problem. Satan doesn't take a holiday just because there is one. Now here's Herod, I'll wait till Easter and then I'll reveal my plans and here's what Satan is doing. We often think that Satan will take a breather, Satan will take a break. We're going to do great and mighty things. You better be careful because when the great and mighty are happening, Satan attacks the hardest. In church, when we're praying, when we're fasting, when we're determined, when we're begging God to do the supernatural, when our roots are growing downward, we're growing spiritually, stepping up and expecting great things from God, that's when you need to brace yourself because there will be satanic attacks and you see it in every single chapter. Acts chapter 13, verse 8. We won't do this, but we could go chapter by chapter and see how uh, Satan was attacking, sending sorcerers, the demon possessed. He's, Paul is being thrown out of cities, stoned, beaten, shipwrecked. Satan doesn't like it when people are getting saved. Say, boy, I wish Satan would do less. Well, let me tell you a plan to get Satan to do less. Here's what we can do, church. We can forget preaching the truth, bring in a different version of the Bible, drop our Wednesday night service, eliminate our soul winning, tell you it doesn't matter, holiness doesn't matter, how you live doesn't matter, God only looks at the heart and Satan would take a breather. But it wouldn't be pleasing to God. It wouldn't honor his name. 
So here's what we've got to do. We've got to obey the truth. We've got to do that which is right. We've got to preach that book. We've got to reach the lost. And then we have to brace ourselves because we know what is going to happen. There will be satanic attacks. And there have been satanic attacks. So you simply prepare yourself. You know if you're going to participate in the great and mighty, you also get to participate in satanic attacks against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for some, this is a two-week challenge or two-month challenge. But I want to challenge those of you that are young because some that are older have been faithful for a long time. They've already predetermined. I believe Brother Tony Powell and Brother St. Pierre and Brother Gamps and Brother Gear, Brother Tony Hubbard, and I believe these men that are, that are, I don't want to mention Brother Bill's name because he's not old yet like the rest of the crowd that we've mentioned. He still fits in a younger category than Brother Gammas or Brother Sutton. But I, but I believe these men have already determined <laughs> that they're going to finish their course. They're going to keep the faith. They're going to do right until death. I, I believe they've already established that in their hearts and minds. But those of you that are young, let me ask you this. Anybody can start, but very few can sustain the effort. How long are you going to sustain it? You've got a life. Do you know, Shane, you woke up today with a bank account with 86400 in that account. He says, I did? Why did someone tell me? Does that bless your soul or not? 86, I'm not talking about wish. I'm telling you, you woke up this morning, 86,400 in your account. The only problem is that account comes with one condition. You've got to spend every single dime of it today because it expires. And tomorrow you wake up with another 86,400. Not dollars, but seconds. And you're either going to waste your life, you're going to spend it, or you're going to invest it. And here's what I want to do. I want to take every second of my day invested and allow God to use me and hopefully do something great and mighty through the few days that I have upon this earth. And most young people wake up every day and burn that 86,400 as if they had a million more. Totally wasted on Xbox and Wii and soccer and are you, are you saying those things are sinful yes if Satan uses those things to get you to waste your life they are sinful why would you want to waste your life on Wii or Xbox or Playstation why, why would you want to take a life that is a vacation instead of saying I want God to do something great and mighty through me I've got one life one chance and here's what I'm thankful for Jeremy, but he takes me away from reality. He doesn't introduce me to reality. Once or twice a year, I get with that guy and this guy right here, and we go play golf. And they take me out, and I grab that stick or club or whatever they call it, and I start beating this thing around this big grass yard. They said it's fun. I have yet to figure out what is fun about wasting $50 on beating a ball around a yard. <laughs> now, Jeremy introduced me years ago to a wonderful term called 
a mulligan. That's when you get up there and there's hundreds of yards of grass and you put your ball up there on a tee and you take out this big club and you whiff. And you swing around and you look out and you say, where'd the ball go? And Jeremy goes, it's still right there. You say, that's okay. So you swing it back again and let it go as hard as you can and that ball jumps about five feet in the air, hits the grass at 100 miles an hour, and goes 50 feet, trickles down to the lady's tee box and stops. <laughs> and then the next word out of Brother Jeremy's mouth is, Preacher, at least you made it to the lady's tee box. <laughs> but he taught me some very important terminology. And I say, huh-uh, that's my mulligan. And I pull out another ball and I put it on the tee. And this time I drive it 20 yards past the lady's tee box. <laughs> and at some point, Brother Robert and Brother Jeremy get tired. They're sitting in the car and they're saying, you ready, preacher? <laughs> now, here's what's sad. Most young people treat life as if every day is a mulligan. One day you're going to wake up, teenagers. You're 35. You can't make money. You've never done anything for God. Your marriage is a mess. And you realize you never paid attention. You never established a relationship with God. God's not using you. You've wasted the past. And you have very little hope for the future because you treated life as if every day were a mulligan. You know why I'll hit five balls at every tee box? Because they gave me permission. So the first one doesn't matter, and the second one doesn't matter. And the third one doesn't matter because I know whenever I want to, I drop another ball and call it a mulligan. Many parents have taught their children the same thing. And every day they throw out another ball and say, this is a mulligan. And God says, when are you going to get serious? Because you just burned another 86,400 seconds that you'll never again recover. How about if we wake up and say, God wants to do something special through Capital City, through Michael, through Jerry, through Ethan, through Uriah, through Shane, Joel, Samuel, Roberto, Mateo, Boaz, every one of these kids. And God can do it. Not because they have any special ability. God doesn't need their special ability. We're looking for a little bit of availability. So if you get serious, I'll do the great and mighty. Father, we pray tonight. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.